Go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 1. And continuing on where we left off last week. So the book of Hebrews, a little bit just a reminder about Hebrews. It is an incredibly Christological book. And that's just a fancy word that means it's all about Christ. Uh, it's, it's, it's a book rich in teaching about the person and the work of Christ Jesus. In the New Testament, the Gospel of John is the only book that exalts Christ more in, than Hebrews. John is, is very Christocentric. It's very centered on Jesus Christ. And Hebrews also is very centered on Jesus Christ. And so throughout this whole series, as we're studying the book of Hebrews, we're going to learn a lot about who Jesus is. We're going to see the whole, the whole idea of this series is to see how Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant. We've looked at that a little bit. We're going to look at that some more. Jesus is greater than the prophets. His revelation that God revealed Himself through Jesus Christ is greater than how He revealed Himself long ago. Jesus is greater. And then we'll see, even for us today, that Jesus is greater than what we go through in life. When we go through struggles in life, when we go through things in life, Jesus is greater. The purpose of studying this is just to exalt Christ. And I pray that as we're going through the book of Hebrews, that you just in your life would just exalt Christ. You would exalt the name of Jesus Christ as we study God's Word, as you live in obedience to Him. My prayer is that you would exalt Christ. And so last week as we began this series, we saw how Jesus is God's superior revelation of Himself to us. The writer of the Hebrews summarizes the superiority of Jesus in the introduction. We looked at the first three verses last week looking at this introduction of who Jesus is. He briefly highlights his, his roles as prophet, priest, and king. He's a better prophet. He's the better priest. He, he made purification for sins and he sat down. He is king. He's king over all the world. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And really, before talking too much about what Jesus has done, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, first explains who Jesus is. So before getting too much into the work of Christ, we see the person of Christ. Now, you don't separate these two, but it is good to kind of break them down a little bit to see the, the, who Jesus is as a person and also what He has done. And that's what we're doing here. We're, just, we're looking at the superiority of Jesus, of who Jesus is, so that we understand why His work, His atoning sacrifice for sin, is superior the new covenant that he established being superior to the old covenant. And so as we're studying Hebrews, we're going to get a, we need to get a good understanding of, of the superiority of who Jesus is so that we understand why what he does and what he has done is better than everything. So last week we looked at Jesus' relationship to the prophets and to God's revelation long ago. How God has revealed Himself long ago through the prophets, but in these last days He's revealed Himself through His Son. And tonight we're going to look at Jesus' relationship to angels and to see how Jesus is superior to angels. We're going to see what angels are, kind of what they do, what their relationship is to Jesus, and what Jesus' relationship is to them. So let's stop for just a minute and think. When you think about angels, what do you think about? I have to admit, when I, was, when I was thinking and studying this text, I was like, man, I really don't know a whole lot about angels. So I, I like to hear from somebody. I know Zoe started. What are, what are some things when you think about angels? What do you think about? Angelic. Angelic. Huh? 
lot of eyes. Huh? Bright. Gabriel. What else? Sparkle wings. What else? I'm just scary? Yeah. I feel like, really, in a sense, I feel like Hollywood has kind of influenced a lot of what we think of angels. I mean, have you ever heard that? Uh, I mean, like, sometimes we think of angels being like a Cupid like figure that just kind of floats on a cloud. You know, like, have you ever seen Tom and Jerry? You see kind of what their picture of angels are. It's not, it's not biblical. When you think about angels, do you? So, let me ask you a question. When people die, do they become angels? No. No, they don't become angels. And so you may have heard that when people die, you know, oh yeah, well they just they got their wings. No, <laughs> there's nothing in Scripture that shows us that. And so it's, it's important for us to understand angels. We need to have a correct understanding of angels uh, so that we know what they do, kind of how they function, how they relate to Jesus, how they relate to us. Because angels are real. And so tonight, this is actually a really, this is a really hard text to kind of study and interpret. There's a lot of, lot of stuff here. Uh, so we're going to try to unpack it tonight as much as we can. But if you first look at this text, it can seem kind of strange. Because the author of the Hebrews, as you remember, we don't really know who wrote this book. But he obviously, he, he, it seems kind of strange because he addresses angels after talking about Jesus Christ and just uplifting Christ. In such a way that he did the first three verses. Then he starts talking about angels for the rest of the chapter. And at first it can seem kind of strange. But again, when you're studying the Bible, Hebrews, any passage of the Bible, you need to understand what's going on in the world around you. That's why you conduct a little bit of a background study. We looked at some of that this summer. But you need to have a little bit of knowledge of what's going on. So it's pretty evident that the Jewish mindset, remember he wrote this to Jews, to Jews, Christians and actually non-Christians too. We'll see that later. But it's, he, he wrote this to Jews, and it's obvious that the, the Jewish mindset concerning angels was a little skewed. It was a little skewed because the author of the Hebrews felt the need to address it and the relationship to Jesus. So let's, let's look at the Scripture and unpack what it says about Jesus and about angels and about their relationship to one another. So let's, let's read. We're going to start back in verse 1, and we're going to read all of chapter 1. You ready? Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And the rest of verses 5 through 14 are really an explanation of verse 4. So let's look at this. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have, will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So as we think about the Scripture, there are three things you do when you come to a passage of Scripture. You need to make some observations. What does the passage say? That's the first thing you need to do. You need to look at what the passage says. And then we're going to make some interpretations. What does it mean? And then we're going to apply it. Because all this talk about angels, there are some things that apply to us that we need to learn. So let's first let's make some observations about this passage of Scripture that we read. Uh, as I mentioned, verses 5 through 14 are an exposition of verse 4. Really just meaning it's, it's explaining verse 4 about how Jesus' name is superior than the angels. He is more excellent than the angels. And really, this is, this is really cool because in verses 5 through 14, there are seven Old Testament passages. So if you look... And, and you can look through all that. Maybe yours is kind of indented and the passages are kind of set aside a little bit. There should be a little bitty letter in italics, which is cue to you, it's a cue to you to look down because there's a footnote. And you should see some Old Testament references. So what the author of Hebrews is doing, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament to show how Jesus is superior to the angels. And what's really cool about this is that the, these references that we see in verses 5 through 14 are in the order of how the author reveals Jesus in the prologue. All right, I want you guys to see this. Let's walk through this. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Ready? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. So he reveals Jesus showing the son as the royal heir of all things. Now look at verses 5 through 9. I'm not going to read all these again, but look. What this has to do with is Jesus being the son. Today I've begotten you. I'll be to him a father. He shall be to me a son, the firstborn. And then we see that Jesus, he has inherited the throne. We see this inheritance of Jesus, his royal heir, the royal heir to the throne. So we see right at the beginning of verse 2, and then this first section kind of explains that. Then the second, go back to verse 2 again. Through whom also he created the world. If you look at verse 10, what does verse 10 say? You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. It's talking about creation, what God has done in creation. You see how this connects? Then, verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And then in verses 11 and 12, we see the author of Hebrews referring back to the Old Testament to describe the eternal divine nature of Jesus. And then finally, at verse four, at the end of verse three, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then in verses 13, in verse 13, we see that Jesus is seated. The son is seated at the right hand of God. You see how this kind of unfolds? The author is taking his prologue of Hebrews of what he is introducing about Jesus. And he's going and breaking it down and explaining from the Old Testament how Jesus is superior. Because remember, this is the whole idea of Hebrews. It's showing that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the Old Covenant. He's fulfilled it, and therefore he's greater. And this is why. In Hebrews chapter 1, 
is showing the supremacy of the Son of God. That's what this whole chapter is about. So if you don't get anything else from tonight, understand that Jesus is superior. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He is above all. Because He is better than all. Some other observations that are kind of cool. If you look at these uh, seven Old Testament references, there's two sets of triplets and then one concluding statement about the Son. If you look at these, verses 5 and 6, you see an Old Testament reference, two in verse 5 and then one in verse 6. Two of those are about the Son and then one's about angels. And then it kind of flip-flops. In verses 7 through 12, one is about angels and then two references are about the Son, about Jesus. So it's pretty cool. And then you have a concluding statement in verse 13, that seventh Old Testament reference. is a concluding statement about the Son. Let me explain a little bit about the Son. Let me explain a little bit about angels. But ultimately, let me conclude by saying the Son is King. He is overall. He is ruler. He is supreme. And then in verse 14, we see a concluding statement about angels. So that's just kind of a breakdown of the structure of the text. We're not really looking at what any of this means. We're just making some observations about what the text says and what it is. Because when you understand that layout, the breakdown of the text, these Old Testament references, how the structure of the references to the Son, references to angels. I know this can seem like a lie. You're sitting here like, what? What does all this mean, Jack? I don't know what you're saying. But it's important to understand that. Because now we're going to look at what this means. And you can see even more how the writer of the Hebrews is just showing the supremacy of the Son of God. So let's look a little bit more. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. And I want you guys to first of all see the superior name of Jesus. That's your first fill in the blank. The superior name of Jesus. Jesus has the superior name. We see this in verses 4 through 6. This is the first triplet that we see. Two references to the Son, one reference to angel. So what's in a name? Let's think about names. How many of you have a name? We all have names. How, how many of you know what your name means? few of you? Not many. Some of us know. Some of us don't. Some of us are like, names mean something? I thought we'd just pick something we love. But see, we don't, we don't view names the same way that people in the Bible view names. Names meant something. Like Names still mean something today, but like they, people were named based on something about them. It's like they weren't just named like just because it was a cute name. It, was, it had a meaning. Like Think about Jesus. Think about the name Jesus. God just didn't go, hmm, I'm going to name I'm going to name him Jesus. That sounds like a good name. No. If you look at Matthew 1, when he's announcing the birth to Mary, he says, you will have a son. You conceive and you'll have a son. You will call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew name Joshua. Does anybody know what the name Joshua means? He's God saves. And so Jesus is literally the Savior of the world. His name means it. He is named Jesus because he is the Savior. It's not just a cool, cute name. It has a meaning. And so when we think about the name that is more excellent than the angels, what are we talking about? It's not just a name like Landon or Brayden or Madeline. It's a, it's a name. It's a, it's a title. Now, that is our title, but it is his position. It's referring to his position. So when the writer of the Hebrews says his name, the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, he's talking about his status, his position. His title, and what is his name? It is the title, the name, Son. The Son of God. Look at this. Look at the very next verse, verse 5. To which, for to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son? That's what the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. 
That's the name that is above every name. It's the name, the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And if you look back in this Jewish culture, they would have understood. That's why Jesus was killed, because he claimed to be the Son of God. And the Son, when he became of age, he, to say he was equal, it was to say he was equal with the Father. And so when Jesus said, I'm the Son of God, he was claiming to be God. And the Jews were like, no, because there's only one God, and you're saying you're God, that's blasphemy, and they kill him. That's why Jesus died. That's ultimately why he died. From the eyes of the Jewish leaders. But first of all, see that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. That's what we need to understand. He's not like God. I told you last week there was a big debate several hundred years ago about one letter and one word that was describing the nature of Jesus. Was Jesus like God? Was He similar to God? Or was He God? But we see that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. And I, I, my, I don't know, maybe I'm just a nerd, but I really like this. And I thought it was really cool. In verses 5 and 6, these three Old Testament references that we see in verses 5 and 6. One's from Psalms, one's from 2 Samuel, and one's from Deuteronomy. And what's really cool about this? The author of the Hebrews is referring back to the Old Testament. I mentioned that. To show how Jesus is superior. Does anybody know what the three, remember from back, maybe back in the summer, the three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible? In the law, the prophets, and the writings. The writer of the Hebrews takes each of these major divisions and pulls Scripture from them to show that Jesus is superior, that He is the Son of God. From the Psalms, from the writings, from 2 Samuel, from the prophet, from prophet Nathan speaking to David, and then from Deuteronomy, from the law. And really, when you think about it, it's really cool because Jesus came not to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill it. And to fulfill everything that was written about Him in the writings. And so Jesus, the author of Hebrews, is showing that Jesus came to fulfill this. And therefore, because He came to fulfill this, He is superior. It's really cool when you see that. And really, Psalm 2 is what the Psalms mention. And 2 Samuel 7, these are the two Scripture references mentioned in verse 5. They're linked together regarding Jesus as the Son of God. Not only His divine nature. There wasn't a time, understand this, there wasn't a time where Jesus was not the Son of God. Alright? Jesus has always been the Son of God. Eternal, divine nature. But there was also a time, we see, where He, was, he had become the, the Son of God in, his, in a messianic sense. What do I mean by that? When Jesus was exalted after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, verse 3. He was exalted to the right hand of the Father. He was exalted as the Son of God, as the Messiah. So we see that Jesus not only was the Son of God from a divine standpoint, but also as a Savior from the line of David, as the Messiah who would come. So what the author of Hebrews is saying, if you look through all the Scripture, you're going to see that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is one with God. He is the eternal divine Son of God, but He is also the Messiah, the Savior, the one that God promised that would save people from their sins. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to convey here. The, the, Jesus as the Son of God is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that Jesus is the final and forever King. Now let's look at this for a moment. If you look at verses 5 and 6, something can be the wording here, there's two words here, that can be a little confusing. And it, it can be misleading if you don't understand it correctly. So Jesus, or the Bible says, you are my Son, today I have begotten you. Alright, if you look down at verse 6. And again, when he brings his firstborn into the world. 
If you don't understand what the author is saying here, it can sound like God created Jesus. Begotten, it means to, to bring forth, to give birth to the only begotten Son. We see that Jesus married, birthed Jesus, you know, obviously. And then firstborn. This isn't talking about a period of time. It's not talking about at some point in history, you know, Jesus was created. Some people believe that, but that's not true. What this is talking about is Jesus's, uh, his uniqueness and his superiority. His firstborn has to do with his, his state being superior. He's the firstborn. He's the one who rightly receives the inheritance. And so when we think about begotten and firstborn, Jesus was not a created being. He's not God's most wonderful created being. He wasn't created at some point in time. Jesus isn't the best angel. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And what the author is trying to convey is that Jesus is superior to angels because He is the Son of God. And then in verse 6, we see the angels. What about the angels? Okay, What, is, what, is, what are the angels' relationship to Jesus? Well, angels worship the Son of God. We, the author proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. Then he calls angels to worship the Son of God. Angels worship Christ, not the other way around. Christ does not worship the angels. Angels, think about it. They declared the birth of Christ. They declared the birth of Christ. They worship God. Angels are in heaven right now, worshiping the Son of God around the throne. And think about this. Worshiping anything other than God violates the most basic of God's commands. You should not have any other gods. You should not worship any other gods before me. And so, if God is saying that you are my son, talking about Jesus, today I've begotten you, and is giving Jesus his divine sake, and calling angels to worship God, this only makes sense that Jesus is God. So you have to have some concept of the Trinity to understand the, the relationship of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we understand that Jesus is God, and angels are called to worship the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ has the name that is above every name. The Son of God. That is His name. The Son. And He is to be worshipped even by angels because He is superior. We've seen His superior name. Let's look at His superior nature. The superior nature of Jesus. That's what's next. The second triplet. Verses 7-12. through 12, We see one reference to angels right at the beginning and then two to the Son. And these verses describe the superior nature of Jesus to angels, primarily showing Jesus' eternal and divine nature. All right, let's look at this. First, let's see that angels, angels are created beings and are servants. That's your first little blank on there. Angels are created beings and are servants. If you look at verse 7, Verse 7 is a reference to Psalm 104, verse 4. This is a creation psalm. It's describing how God, His power over creation. It's, it's looking at God's power over creation and showing that it personifies creation. The thunder, the seas, the lightning, the skies, the clouds, and all these things. Personifying nature to show how nature is obedient to God. It's a, they're obedient messengers to show the glory of God. That's what that psalm is about. In verse 7... References angels and describes their natures. What does verse 7 say? Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So, how do we know they're created beings? Well, look at this. He makes them this. Angels are created beings. 
Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And so since all things were created through and for Christ, Christ obviously is superior, right? So, you know, think about just your parents. Your parents created you. So obviously they're superior. They have authority over you. Jesus created all things. They're created through Him and for Him. And so Jesus is superior. He created angels to serve His purpose. Angels are created beings and they are servants. And so let's look at the superior nature of Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, on the other hand, is eternal and is God. So angels are created beings and they're servants. Jesus Christ is eternal and is God. The very beginning of verse 8 shows the contrast between the nature of Jesus and the nature of angels. Let's look at this. Verse 8. Let's look back at verse 7. Of the angels he says this. But of the Son he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who sits on a throne? Just a regular old guy? Who sits on a throne? A king. Someone who's in charge. Someone who has authority. Who is forever and ever? Who's eternal? God. Jesus Christ is eternal. He is God. God declares Jesus to be God and to be eternal. Think about this. Angels surround the throne of God, but the Son sits on the throne of God. Angels surround and worship. The Son sits on the throne of God. Angels are sent out into the world as messengers of God, but the Son is the anointed one. He is the one set apart. He is the messenger of God. The supreme, superior messenger of God. In verses 10 through 12, in the Old Testament context, remember this, all this, basically this whole text we're reading tonight is just looking back at Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament context of verses 10 through 12, these verses are about Yahweh. They're about God. Yet here in Hebrews, they're referring to the Son. And thus the writer of Hebrews is equating God and Jesus. Saying Jesus is God. That's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. That Jesus is God. And the only way that this is possible is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God. He's eternal. He's unchanging. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. It's just wonderful verses. They will perish. Talking about the the earth and the heavens, all of creation. All creation will perish. But you remain. Talking about God. You remain. They all wear out like a garment. Like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. I had to go through my sock drawer earlier. Actually it was last week. Because I had a bunch of holes. A bunch of places that were worn out of my socks. I had to go buy some new socks. I had to change out my socks. Why? Because stuff wears out. Stuff grows old. And you got to get rid of them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He doesn't wear out like your socks. He doesn't wear out like old t-shirts. He doesn't wear out like the trees that die, the sky that changes. He is the same. He is unchanging. He is eternal. Let me ask you this. 
Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Do you love Jesus as God? Maybe you understand, you've heard, you'll agree that Jesus is God, but do you love Jesus as God? I'm sure you love Jesus as Savior, as your Redeemer. And you, you don't separate the attributes of God. But do you love Jesus as, as God, as who He is, the eternal, unchanging, majestic Lord of all creation? Do you stand in awe of who God is and say, Jesus, You are Lord? Or is Jesus your buddy that you run to when, when your life gets messed up? Or is Jesus kind of your friend that sits... Sits next to you and he'll help you out along the way, but you're gonna if you need some help, but you're gonna continue to live life your own way. Is Jesus like a good luck charm to you that you'll maybe say a quick prayer to Jesus before you take a test, before you have a big game, for something that's big in your life, big event in your life? Is Jesus more like a good luck charm or a your little buddy? Do you do you really kind of diminish who Jesus is, or do you love him as God? As creator, as God of the universe. The one who has always been, the one who always will be. The one for whom and through whom all things remain. Do you love this Jesus as God? The eternal, unchanging God, the Lord of all creation. The one who remains when all else perishes. The one who does not change like you and me. Do you love this Jesus? Do you understand He is God? Jesus Christ is God. He is unlike the angels because He is divine. He is the Son and He is worthy of all worship. The angels certainly worship Him. They're worshiping Him right now. I just wonder, do you? Do you worship this Jesus as the Son of God? Finally, let's look at the superior reign of Jesus. The superior reign of Jesus. The final Old Testament reference in verse 13 describes the superior reign of Jesus. And it's quoted from Psalm 110. And that psalm is just about the greatness of God sitting at the right hand of the Father. Just the superiority of God. It's a psalm about David. It's a psalm of David about the eternal reign of the Messiah. Two things I want you to notice. One about Jesus, one about angels. First, Jesus is established as king forever. He's the one who sits on the throne. Jesus is established as king. He is king forever. Think about kings. Think about our context, presidents. We have a new president every four years, maybe every eight years. We have presidents that change in and out. Kings, you know, not too, too long ago, Queen Elizabeth died. Somebody new in power. Kings, queens, presidents, leaders, they, they change. Jesus Christ is king forever. Forever. We we don't understand forever. He is king forever. Go back to verse 3 and think about this. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus once and for all made purification for sins. And he sat down saying, it is finished. My job is done. I don't have to continue to stand at the door of the temple daily because my job as priest once and for all is done because it is superior. 
He made a way for us to approach God and to worship Him. And then He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Think about the story of Esther. She was having to go approach the king. Nobody just goes to the king unless they're summoned. You don't just go, you don't just walk into the Oval Office because you feel like it. You don't just, none of us can just like, oh, I feel like going to the Oval Office today. No. We don't just approach God because, wow, we're sinful. He's holy. But Jesus made a way for us to do that. And Jesus sat down next to the king. He sat down on the throne, the right hand of the majesty on high. I'm going to read to you several passages from the book of Revelation. And I want you to think about the worship of the king that is taking place in heaven. Revelation 4 verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Chapter 5, 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Chapter 5, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Who is giving this worship? It's the angels. Who are they worshiping? They're worshiping Jesus the Son. As the king who is sitting on the throne. Jesus is the glorious king who reigns forever and ever. He is worshipped for all of eternity. Because he is God. And he has established a new covenant with his people. Saving a people for himself by his blood. And establishing a new kingdom of worshippers of God. Who will worship the king for all of eternity. This is the son of God. King Jesus. He is far superior to angels because he reigns as king for all of eternity. In contrast, look at the angels. What are the angels? The angels are established as servants forever. They're established as servants forever. Chapter 1 ends with a concluding statement about the role of angels in verse 14. Angels are sent out from God to minister and to serve who? Those who inherit salvation. Who are those? Believers. Christians. Those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Angels are sent out from God to minister to us. Think about this. I'm going to look at some passages. I've got five passages here to show you how angels have ministered. Angels, what are they? They rescued Lot and his family from Sodom. Angels, they shut the mouths of the lions in the den with Daniel. Angels ministered to Jesus after he was tempted. Angels opened prison doors to rescue the apostles from prison. Angels will accompany Jesus at his return to gather his elect. Angels are sent forth as servants of God to serve and to minister to believers. Angels will serve God. Angels will serve for all of eternity. And Jesus will reign as king for all of eternity. 
The author of Hebrews makes it abundantly clear in chapter 1 that Jesus is superior. He is superior to all things. He's superior to God's former revelation. And He's superior to angels, the messengers of God, in every way. And He alone is worthy of worship. So now, let's let's wrap this up. How how does all of this talk about the relationship between Jesus and angels, and, and how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us? If you remember back in the summer when we were talking about application of Bible text, there's three really ways you can apply the text. You can apply it to your head, to your heart, and to your hands. And we actually see there's, there, there's three ways that I've seen that we can apply this. We can apply this to our heads because we need to understand what angels are. How they relate to Jesus as servants and also how they relate to minister to us. We, apply, we need to have a good understanding of angels. Of, of how they work. How they're ministering to us. And then what we need to do, God's covenant message in the law, if you look at the Old Testament, it was revealed through angels. And He expected His people to respond in obedience. God expected His people to respond to Him in obedience. So we think about the Son who is superior to angels. How much more should we be obedient to God's message through the Son that He has given to us? We need to live in obedience to God's commands that He has revealed to us in His Son, Jesus. And then our heart, our heart's affections. We should not diminish Jesus the Son by acting as if He were an angel or if He were anything less than God. Because Jesus is God. And He deserves our complete worship and our obedience. That's a lot to take in. Thank you guys for hanging with me. I know it's a lot. And there, there are some the sheets I gave last week. I've got some questions. I've got some more questions to this week to follow up. I would encourage you, go back and read this passage again and just think about just Jesus being supreme and ask God through His Spirit just to teach you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, even in a text like this that can be difficult to understand, and it's just a lot to unpack, God, I thank You that You teach us. I thank You that You work in our lives. And you have, God, we, just, we praise You because You are superior to all. You are supreme. And God, we thank You. We worship You. God, we want to join the angels in in the worship of the Son. And God, we long for the day where we will be in heaven worshiping You for all of eternity. Lord, would You give us this mindset now to look forward to eternity and to think about the worship of You. And may we live in light of eternity. May we live in light of of the revelation of Christ following in obedience to You and worshiping You all of our days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.